All right. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, morning, morning. I think obviously you're here, right? So you figured out that we have one service uh, at 930. Hopefully you haven't been sitting outside the door for the past hour and a half waiting to get in. I literally did get freaked out. I came down a little early, talked to Brandon, and there are already like 15 or 20 people here. And, and they're clapped at the end of the practice set. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I literally somehow missed a service. I, I have nightmares about missing services. I've never had it happen. But I'm glad it didn't happen today. So like Brandon said, man, glad no matter whether you're tuning in from Monroe, Trumbull, wherever you are on your phone, your device, or whether you came out kind of on a rainy fall day today, we're glad you guys are all here and we're all worshiping Jesus uh, together. And I appreciate Brandon's focus on that this morning. So let me pray and we'll get into what the text has for us. Father, uh, thank you for the chance to come together this morning and thank you for everything you do for us, and thank you for your words of scripture that still do speak today and meet us where we are. And so my prayer, Father, is that um, what you wanted, what Paul wanted, that this morning if there's some people who are discouraged, if there's some people who are weary, um, that your word and that this text will be a comfort and an encouragement to them, Father. So we, we ask that you do that. We know that that was the intent for this this. this prayer that Paul offers, so please work in our same hearts in the same way for your glory, Father, so that when we trust in you more, that brings honor and glory to you because it shows that we think and we know you are the most sufficient thing for us. So work through the Spirit for the glory of Jesus and your glory, Father. We pray this in the name of King Jesus. Amen. Well, you've probably, as your family or, if, you know, if maybe you don't have a family, it's you, but probably all of us have kind of had some new ways we've adjusted to this COVID situation, right? And probably for some of you, maybe you're reading a ton of books, maybe for others of you, you're binge watching some things on, on Netflix. And my family and I have kind of, we do a little bit of both, but we, through this whole period, we've kind of gotten latched onto the show that we never really watched before this thing. It's called The Amazing Race. Anybody watch The Amazing Race? If you don't, it's excellent, right? You should watch it. It's like free on Amazon Primes for the first 22 seasons, check it out. If I stop doing this gig, I think I want to be the host of that because he has the sweetest job ever. The premise, oh. whoa. Okay, I think that was the Lord confirming that. I heard trumpets from heaven saying, I should go host The Amazing Race. Uh, here's the premise of The Amazing Race if you've not checked it out before. Um, and you can start the timer up there for the sermon because I got to keep this thing to 31 minutes because I kept this in here for 44 yesterday, last week or something. Um, the premise of the race is these teams go around the country and as they go around the country, they do different uh, competitions, right? Different, different challenges. A lot of them are kind of daredevil type stuff. And this past week, we were finishing up a season. We were eating whatever we were eating. And the teams were in Switzerland. And they were off outside of Mont Blanc. Uh, and one of the challenges was they have, you always have to get this little orange clue box dealio. And they had to walk. I mean, they were up in the peaks of the mountain. And what they had to do is they had to walk along this very, very narrow footpath on the edge of this precipice. And if they fell off that footpath that was covered with snow, they were plummeting, right? And this footpath was narrow and they didn't always know the right step. You could kind of see them like, I don't know where to go. It was icy, it was slippy, but what kept them from falling off and plummeting to their death on TV was they were attached to this guide wire, right? This wire, this safety line that was anchored into the rocks, and they were attached to that with these carabiners and all these cool things. And even though they didn't always know the steps that they should take, and even though the path was sometimes slippy, and even though the path wasn't always clear, 
they were anchored to something that kept them from falling and getting hurt. They were anchored to something stronger than them. And this morning, none of you that I know of are on The Amazing Race. At least you haven't been for the past 22 seasons because I ain't seen you, right? None of you this morning are on The Amazing Race. None of us are on that journey. But you know what? Uh, it's been a long five months of this COVID coronavirus deal. And what's interesting is just watching, we, I mention this a lot, but that's okay. Mentioning my own ups and downs, watching my own ups and downs and watching our staff's ups and downs and maybe family members. Uh, th there's moments when some of us through this thing are like, ah, this is all great. And then there's other moments when maybe we're not so great, when the length of the five or six months gets a little long. And maybe this morning some of you are in that place or maybe you're coming out of that place or maybe you're great today and maybe next week you'll be in that place. Maybe with this, all these quarantines, all these changes, may, when, and we look ahead and you're trying to think about 2021, you're trying to drop kids off to college, you're trying to get kids ready to school, you're trying to look for a job, you're trying to plan your objectives for your job, and it's maybe you're just looking around and thinking, I don't even know what next step to take. I feel like I'm on this little pathway and I don't even know the right place to put my foot. Maybe you're like those guys at the top of that mountain. You feel like there's nowhere steady for me to step. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I, I don't want to, I'm not, I can't, I don't even have the energy to overanalyze all that this morning, Peter. I, I'm just trying to put one step in front of the other and get up tomorrow morning and put one step in front of the other. And this morning, no matter where you are on your path and for all of us, no matter where we are on the path of economic up and downs, coronavirus up and downs, so much changed, a lot that's still the same, a political cycle coming up that continues just to create swirl. Here's the encouragement for you and I this morning. We have a guide wire that we can latch on to. We have a lifeline that we can carabiner ourselves to that helps us as you and I and all of us are walking down this path together. Today's text provides some of those guide wires. Today's text provides some things that if you're feeling uncertain, if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling you don't even know what you're feeling, the man, take your rope that's attached to you and your carabiner and you latch on to one of these truths that we're going to see today because it will give you something sturdy to hold you when you're not even sure where you're walking. And I really do. I have prayed that for somebody who needs encouragement today, that one of these things, nothing I say, I don't have anything to offer, but God does, that one of the things that God says through his word today will be the exact encouragement that somebody listening today or somebody listening later in the week needed to hear. So as we go through some of these, there's four or five or whatever, man, just if there's one that is particularly encouraging to you, I encourage you this week, grab onto that, hold on to that. We're going to see that as we continue in Ephesians. And we're in this section of Ephesians now where Paul is kind of going to do two things in the text. He's going to, last week, if you were here the past two weeks, we've talked about what Paul wanted for this church in terms of addressing issues of racism and prejudice, and we, he's now moved out of that, and he's moving into this. He's reminding them of what a core purpose of his ministry is, and then he's telling them something. He's, some things he's praying for them. And so the, the whole 
passage for today is Ephesians 3, 1 through 21. And in the first part of that, Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. We're not going to go through all that. But Paul's kind of bringing them back. Last week he talked about you Jews and Gentiles, you've got to get along. You've got to stop hating each other. You've got to break down the prejudice, Jews and Gentiles. And now he moves into this reminder of them that part of his ministry is to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. He talks about that in Ephesians 3, 1, 13. Kind of the key part of this is in verse 8 where he says this. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What he's doing is he's kind of reminding them. He's talked about a lot of things. He's reminding them of theology. He's reminding them of getting along together, different races. And now he's bringing them back to this and he says, look, I just want to remind you guys. That the core of what I'm about, Paul says, the core of what I'm to do, the core of what this church is built on, Paul's saying, is Jesus, is the gospel. And he's reminding them that that's at the foundation of his ministry and the foundation of their lives. Here's kind of the first takeaway from his telling them something core about what he's doing is this. Don't forget the gospel. Don't forget the gospel. Don't forget Jesus and what he's done for you and what he has done, how that can benefit everyone and anyone. Don't forget, the, if you're a Christian this morning, don't practically forget the gospel. Here's what the gospel screams to you. It screams to you that if you've put your faith in Jesus, you are forgiven and you are accepted and there's no more separation from God. There's nothing but closeness. There's no longer gap. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see all the things you wish you'd done better in the past. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. And he sees perfection. And you're accepted by God because of what Jesus did for you. Don't doubt that. Don't forget that. Don't let the enemy whisper lies of shame and despair to you about that. And we also ought not to forget the fact that the gospel is something that we are to be sharing with others. That, that's kind of our purpose. That's our mission. That really is why God didn't just like teleport us up to heaven when we became Christians. He could have done that. Like Star Trek. Whoop, God. Whoa. That was, he didn't. He left us here. Why did he leave us here? Why did he leave us here? You know, I left us here because there's other people who need to hear about them. And he does that through us. And we need to make sure we say this, right? We want to make sure we never want the gospel to become this code word that we don't know what it means. And so maybe if you're here today and you're like, yeah, you talk about Jesus, the cross, we sang some stuff, he's alive. I don't, what's the gospel? Maybe if you're clicking in for the first time, trying to figure out religion or church, he, here's what the story is. Here's what at the core of Christianity, the core of Christianity that is there, there was sin that we committed that separated us from God, we did that because we thought we knew better than God. We thought we knew better than the sovereign God, and so we acted in a sinful way which created this separation. God, in his holiness, right, can't tolerate sin. But he's a God who loves us. And he didn't want to punish us for our sin, but the sin had to be taken care of. And so the solution was Jesus who willingly came to be punished for me and punished for you so that we would never ever have to be punished for the sin that we committed. Jesus stood in our place as a substitute. At the core of the gospel is that all the sin that we deserve to be punished for, 
Jesus has already been punished for. So we don't have to worry about being punished for that. And, and Jesus has taken the punishment so that we can be forgiven. And the way we receive that is through faith. Through faith. That's how we effectuate it. That's how we benefit from it. And what Paul is reminding them in the very beginning is don't forget the gospel. It's at the core of what he does as a pastor. And it's supposed to be at the core of the people listening to this letter for the first time as they think about their identity. As they think about their mission and purpose. After reminding them of the core of that, Paul then moves into this section where he says, he, he tells them something, right? And after that, that's critical kind of reminding that, he moves into this and he says this, kind of changing thoughts. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. He's going to explain some things further, but what he's doing is he's teeing up for these guys. He's saying this, hey, I want you guys to know, people in the church that I planted, Paul's saying, I'm praying for you. Paul's reminding them that I am coming to our heavenly Father and I am bowing my knees on your behalf. He's going to tell them in a minute what he's praying for them. But he begins just by saying, I'm praying. The guy who started that church, the pastor of that church, wanted the people in that church to know that something that he's doing on their behalf is praying for them. And what does that have to do with you and I, or you really this morning? Here's what it has to do with you. We want you to know whether you're here, whether you're online, that we're praying for you. We want you to know that you are also being prayed for. We mentioned this at the beginning of the COVID, but it's still a strand that rings true that we remind you of. If we have you in our database, we don't have everybody in our database, but if we have you in our database because you've given us your contact information, we have split up all the names of the people in our database, every single name, every single family unit, given one of those names to a pastor and elder, and our pastors and elders have prayed by name several times for every single person who we have a record that comes to Calvary Church. So even if you don't know it, there have been several times that you and your family have been prayed for by some of our leaders by name. We do that because there's a lot of things we can do for you to try to serve you and care for you, but one of the most important things we can do is pray for you because God's the one who can meet all your needs and we brought you before him, asking him to work throughout this whole process. We, we pray for you in other ways. We have a prayer team that whenever anybody at our church submits a request, there are people who faithfully and regularly pray over those requests. When those requests bubble up, we pray for those things at elders meetings and staff meetings. We just want you to know, like Paul wanted these people to know, that even though you may feel like nobody's got your back, and even though you may feel sometimes you're going through some things that are really hard, we want you to know you're not going through those alone because we're praying for you. We're asking God to walk with you, to help you, to comfort you. We're doing that for the same reason Paul did that, because we care about you. Because we care about you. And because it's an honor and a joy to walk with you on this journey together, and that's one way that we can support you in this. And the first thing, Paul's now going to give three or four things that he's praying for them, and, and hopefully these will start to bring encouragement. I, Two days ago, maybe yesterday, I don't even remember, right? But man, I, I, I walked through these myself. I went in my little backyard on my Adirondack chair that a tree limb fell on. I know, what is up with that tree? 
but I walked through some of these, and they were helpful to me, and hopefully maybe they'll be helpful to you. Here, here's the first thing Paul prays. Here's what he says. He wants them to know. <clears throat> For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Do you know why Paul's praying for their strength? Probably because they're not feeling very strong. He's praying for their strength because he knows that these people need strength. He knows that for whatever reason, there's some of them likely who are worn out, who are spiritually, emotionally, physically just weary and worn down. I love boating. I used to have a boat when I was lawyer boy down in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, it was great. And a boat to me is like when you're a kid and you get that first bike. And you go to the dead end in your house, that cul-de-sac, and you, and you feel like you're free, right? That's what I, uh, and I watch boats. And I love boats. And have you ever seen a boat in a storm, a boat that's tied up to one of those anchor balls in a lake or the ocean moored to it? And it is storming. And that boat's there, but it is being tossed, it is being turned, it is being hit from different angles with waves. It's blown in this direction, then 25 minutes later it's blown in that direction. It's rocking up and down, it's moving in and out. Maybe some of us feel that way. Maybe you feel like you're a boat on the water, just getting battered, hit. <clears throat> and just when you feel like you have a direction that you want to go in, another wave comes, another gust comes, and it flips you over this direction, and you're just rocking and bouncing and slamming on the wake. We all have moments when we get worn out. We all have moments when we don't feel very strong, when we have doubts, when we have worries, when we're tired. And we're worn out. And, and the source of strength is so interesting in this. You know what? What Paul's not saying to them, Paul's not saying, hey, I'm praying that you guys will muster up some strength and be stronger. He's not praying that. He's praying, I pray that you will be strengthened. It's a passive verb. It means that they have nothing to do with becoming stronger. It means that there's an outside force that is doing something to them to strengthen them. It's not a strength we build up on our own because we're too worn out to do it. But it's a moment when this pastor is praying that, hey, for the people in that church who are weary, God, will you, through your Holy Spirit, provide strength to them? Here's the takeaway for us this morning. If you felt not so strong, if you're feeling not so strong, when you're feeling not so strong, simple little three-word deal, God gives strength. Now, I didn't like exegete anything out of in some scroll hidden somewhere in the desert that you've never thought about before. But the problem is sometimes we just need to believe that as a fact. We just need to believe it as a fact, that the fact is that God gives strength. And you need to choose not to doubt it. You need to choose what you're feeling, not to make you question it. But you need to cling to it and know it and believe it. And sometimes that strength is linked with having to wait for God to strengthen you. 
a verse that we say a lot. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Sometimes becoming strengthened by God involves periods of waiting. It isn't a microwave popcorn that gives the strength in 22 seconds sometimes. No microwave pop popcorn in 22 seconds. I know that. Sometimes there's waiting. Sometimes it doesn't come as fast. But at the end of the day, the strength that we need, it doesn't come from yourself. You can read every self-help book on Amazon all day long. Do some of them have some great principles? Yeah, sure. But are any of them going to give you the core strength that you need in your life when life is battering you? No. Because that strength comes from God and God alone, and God does give strength. So if you're feeling weary this morning, believe that. Know it. Take your rope and your carabiner and you click onto that and you just hold on to that and you wait in a place saying, God, I know that the strength I'm yearning for is strength that you only give and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to tank your anchor to this guideline in you and I'm going to wait, believing that to be true. <clears throat> then it's interesting, there's three or four other things Paul prays for them that all flow out of God's strength. The next few things we see, none of them are things we independently do on our own. They all, the strength is the catalyst to cause these next two things, several things to occur. So what's one thing that God's strength, Paul then prays they'll be able to do through that strength? Verse 17 says this, I want you to be strengthened, and then one thing that flows from that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This has nothing to do with this has nothing to do with an evangelical tact that I'm never really sure how we understood, but this concept of, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? That, that, that's a weird pet peeve for me. I won't get on my soapbox today because I think it confuses the truth of the gospel for little kids and we can just tell them Jesus was punished so you wouldn't have to. But that has nothing to do with anything. Right now, before people are mad at me, don't be mad at me, okay? But this has nothing to do with salvation. This has nothing to do with this idea of asking Jesus into your heart. This is written to Christians. This is written to people who already are Christians, right? And this, this phrase, this idea of Dwelling in your heart, this goes with the idea of sanctification. It's the idea of becoming more like Jesus. The, I, the word dwell in your heart, the phrase, the nuance, what that word means is this idea of being at home. Being at home. Being comfortable. Being settled. Kicking up your feet on the coffee table and watching the amazing race. You're comfortable because you're in a home where, where you, you feel accepted and it's good. This idea with Jesus conveys the fact that in our hearts, metaphorically, right, this analogy, that, that when Jesus looks, Jesus is comfortable. Because our hearts, our lives, our actions, our choices, our desires are aligned with things that, that the path that we're taking, he feels at home with. He's like, yeah, you're on the path I want you to be with. We're good. I'm going to, right, there's, there's this alignment between what he wants from our lives and the way in which, through God's strength, we're living our lives. When you have people over to your house, when you know they're coming over to your house, does, when they walk in that door, does that house look like it looked like about four hours before they came? 
No. Some of you, yes, but I don't believe you, right? Because what we all do is we all do it. We're like, ah, oh, there's little, there's Legos everywhere. Quick, grab, if you don't pick up these Legos, I'm going to spank you or put you in timeout until Jesus comes back. Pick up your Legos. So the little kid, ah, those are Legos, the thing. And then you take the Legos and you put it in your washer dryer and you close the little folding doors so nobody sees it, right? Or your teenage son who's got his nasty football gear or baseball gear, those cleats that like have to be some sort of curse that just smell. You're like, can't pick up the cleat. If you don't pick up your cleats, I'm taking away your phone until Jesus comes back. And you take the cleats, you take his football stuff, you run to your car, you put it in the trunk so that nobody can see it. You get the Clorox wipes, which you can't find anymore, and you clean the toilets real quick, right? We, we clean things up because we don't want people to see our garbage. <clears throat> we don't want people to see our mess. But... In part of that is we want them to think a certain thing, but also with that is we want them to come into a comfortable, clean space because that's part of hospitality. To now, we all go crazy with it, right? And, but, but there is this part, like, I want them to be able to not walk in and smell some smelly things. I want them to walk in and have a place to sit where there's not going to get Legos, you know, on the back of their legs because they get poked by them. We, will, we want people to be comfortable, and sometimes part of that is creating a comfortable space. And this is this idea, and the question is if, Again, with a spiritual way, if we're asking Jesus to dwell in us, is what's inside of us in a condition that, that we're inviting Jesus into? Or is there some garbage there that we need to clean up? Are there some things we need to remove because Jesus is coming? Is there some stuff we need to take away and get rid of? We do that not through our own power. We do that through the power of Jesus. And so here's the takeaway from this. Evaluate your heart and life. Evaluate your heart and life. Depending on God's power, he's the one that makes us like Jesus. But are there still things that we are purposefully choosing to hide away on top of a dryer we don't want to get rid of it. We don't want to stop it. We're chasing it. And Jesus is like, bro, I want to come hang out in your heart with you. But there's this big pile of stinking diapers right there. And I mean, I'd, it'd be nice if that wasn't on the couch where you're inviting me to sit. Are there areas through God's strength that we need to clean up? For Jesus, through God's strength, after we become Christians, cleaning it up is not what makes us a Christian. This is where evangelical churches have gotten sideways. We, we say things like this and we say, so, stop drinking, stop smoking, stop having sex, stop this, stop this, stop that, and then God will accept you and you become a Christian. No! What you do or don't do has nothing to do with whether God accepts you. That all has to do with Jesus. But after we believe in Jesus, the question is, are we then living lives that represent who Jesus is? as followers of Jesus. And the next part of his prayer provides this great opportunity and this great truth. Here's the next part of the prayer. Again, through the love and the strength of God, here's what he prays. Right, I want Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith, second half of verse 17, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, he's writing to them, that you, Ephesians Christians, Calvary Christians, Calvary Christians on the blue chairs, Calvary Christians on your own blue chairs, that you will be rooted and grounded in love. What, what, whose love is he talking about there? Here in this clause, he's not talking about that you'll be rooted in the love that God has for you. He's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that your lives will be anchored in you living lives of love. 
that your actions, that your behaviors, that your attitudes toward the people will be grounded in love, that you will live out love for other people. And this is linked with this prior request because here's what happens, right? When we get rid of the stinky diapers in our heart, and through his strength as God helps us do that, and through his strength as, as Jesus infuses us, then over time we start to look more like Jesus. And something that defines who Jesus is, is love. And we will then start to eat and drink and breathe and be people who love other people. Paul saying, I want your lives, you to be so anchored in acting and being a person who loves. I want that to be grounded in what people think of you and what people experience you and who you are Here's the takeaway from that. Love others. Love others. And there's been times in churches, I've heard some dude in the front say that, and I've thought, that is so hippie. Uh, that's hippie talk. Now forget love others. Let's go be missionaries. Let's go do this. And then we keep coming back to things like, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, and mind. And Love your neighbor as yourself. Love this command I give to you, that they will love one another. We can't talk about Jesus. We can't talk about the Bible. We can't talk about the gospel without talking about love. There's a whole lot of things that sometimes define our lives and our actions and our words and our attitudes towards others that are the exact opposite of love. Love. Here's two real practical takeaways, how we start doing this. And you come back next Sunday, don't be mad at me for saying this, but if we want to be people who love people better, then some of us need to stop being selfish. Because selfishness is like the antithesis of love. And selfishness stops us from loving other people because selfishness focuses on what are they doing to me? How are they treating me? Well, I'm entitled to be treated like this. They should talk to me like this. They should drive on the road like this. This is how they should act towards me. And it's selfish. And then the whole focus on, am I getting from them what I deserve? And what love is, is loving people even when they don't deserve it. And selfishness keeps us from doing that. Some of you have trouble loving because some of you are selfish. And if we want to do this, then let's stop being selfish. And here's the more positive way that we can love. Here it is. Ready? You know an easy way to love somebody? Encourage them. Encourage somebody. The guy who founded Chick-fil-A. Mm, I want Chick-fil-A right now. Why is it on Sunday we all crave Chick-fil-A? It's something they put in their batter, right? It's got to be something. The guy who founded Chick-fil-A talks about encouragement. He says, do you know how, here's how you'll know if somebody needs encouragement. If they're breathing. If someone's breathing, then that's a person that you can encourage. Encouragement means so much to all of us. Even those of us who we think we have our lives all together, and we're confident people, and we know ourselves. Isn't it nice when somebody just comes up to you and says, man, thanks so much for, thanks for what you did. You did that so well. 
Or that, man, that, when you did that, I was just impressed with your gifting. And encouragement, we can love somebody today, this afternoon, in your car, on the way to get your bagels or your greasy eggs at your diner, by stopping to be selfish and by thinking, who today can we encourage? Because that's the way that we can love. And then the final part to Paul's request surrounding love is this. Right? I want you to have the strength of God so that Christ can turn your house. And then verse 18, he says this, so that you will love other people, and then 18, so that you will also have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all fullness of God. A few things to pull out of this. This is a request that he wants every Christian to know this. He's praying this, that you will know this with all Christians. He's not just saying for those Christians whose lives are in order and whose lives are reflecting Jesus well, I want them to know that God loves them. He's saying it don't matter what kind of life this Christian is living right now. Whether they're totally aligned with what God wants for them or whether there's some areas that they need to clean up some garbage, what he's saying is, I want every single Christian to understand how much God loves them. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. And he's saying, I want every single Christian, no matter where they are, to grasp God's love to them, to grasp the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, What's infused in that is this idea that that God's love is going to travel no matter where it needs to travel. It's going to go as far as it needs to go to get you and to land on you and to surround you and to embrace you. It goes as far as it needs to go, as long as it needs to go, wherever it needs to go in order to reach us. And these phrases convey the vastness and the completeness, and the beauty, and the richness, and the everythingness. The every, that's a good word. The everythingness of God's love for you. God's love for you, last point, is vast and unceasing. Vast, unceasing. And again, a simple way to respond. And and you know what's interesting? He prays. He prays, okay, God, that's your love. Will you give them strength to comprehend that? He must have said that because he knows that sometimes we doubt it. He must have said that because he knows that sometimes our grasp of that and our holding on to that gets a little weak. When we start to wonder, does he really love me because it's misty out and it's dark and it's gray and I I don't know. And what Paul's praying is, God, will you give them the strength so that they won't doubt how deeply and vastly and wonderfully and every momently you love them. Believe that this morning. Even if you don't feel it. If you're a Christian, especially if you don't feel it. Believe it. 
know it to be true. God had a pastor a long time ago pray these things for his people so that people still today who wonder, who believe in Jesus, but don't feel like God loves them will hear and will read God saying, my love for you is everythingness. And it never ceases. And it's for you. God loves you. In conclusion, what I want to do is I just want to read what we've unpacked. I just want to read over you Paul's prayer for a church a long time ago. And on behalf of your pastors and your elders and our volunteers and our team, this is our prayer for you and for all of us as well. Here's what Paul prayed. Here's what we'll pray for you. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.